well, yeah, what would Paul and Kale be saying about Wonder Woman 84? That's my question. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode of Cinenation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cinenation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. Today, we continue our Screwball Comedy Month with a more modern retelling of the Screwball Comedy genre, modern at the time, uh, with a 1972 film, What's Up, Doc?, directed by Peter Bogdanovich, starring Barbara Streisand, Ryan O'Neill, and Madeline Kahn. Before we dive into What's Up, Doc?, Let's provide you all with a little bit of a recap of the screwball comedy genre. So, Thomas, what did we talk about on the last episode? Yeah, we discussed, you know, it's a genre that is born directly out of the Great Depression. It tends to skewer love. Uh, it takes a much more ironic look at, at romance. Uh, we, we talked about the comedy of remarriage and how a lot of these films are kind of about people getting back together after breaking apart. And that's something we especially looked into with the Philadelphia story last week. But we also talked about, you know, this fast dialogue that Howard Hawks was so famous for, just kind of the back and forth, very quick uh, people kind of overlapping, going on top of each other that, as we talked about with Philadelphia story last week, was kind of born out of plays yeah. and was something that wasn't really seen a lot in film at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, we also spoke about the uh, how the Hawksian woman, which we covered way back in our early screwball episode but the idea of this uh kind of off kilter high energy female who who drives the plot of of a lot of these screwball comedies and kind of turn and turn the convention of of films especially in the 1930s and 40s on their heads for sure that was something people had never seen before and uh katherine hepburn was was fantastic in it there's uh the film Bringing Up Baby with Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant was a huge inspiration for this movie, which we'll mm-hmm. talk about a lot. So that's a great one to go back and watch along with What's Up Doc to see a, a lot of the inspiration carry over and to also see kind of, I think, I think uh, that Katherine Hepburn's character in Bringing Up Baby is the quintessential Hawksian woman. I think yes. that's, that's the one you can really point at that's like, it's just this this rich woman who's just having a good time. She yeah. she's, can do whatever she wants. And the world is her oyster, and she's just going to have fun with it. Yeah. Um, and then also, too, we didn't talk about this really last week, but I think it's very apparent for this week's episode. And it was it is a big thing in the genre. And there's kind of this screwball comedy films, some that don't follow love stories. There's also this like outlandish kind of over-the-top comedy behavior. Mm-hmm. If it's like it's a mad, mad, mad world – or um, I'm trying to other ones that just like they're more like physical. I mean, even some of uh, Mel Brooks's films might fit into that, or even some Coen Brothers films fit into that, um, where it's kind of these outlandish, over the top comedy moments and almost madness in a way. And I feel like this one today is going to include all that. This one very feel when rewatching it, it feels as if it kind of it includes almost all the elements of the screwball comedy genre both the love stories and the non-love stories mm-hmm. yeah but yeah so thomas picked today's movie what's up doc so thomas i'm gonna let you go ahead and let's talk about it all right so like you said uh what's up doc is a film directed by peter bogdanovich it's a it's a it was released in 1972 uh, if you're interested in checking it out it's available on watch tcm which i think brandon plugged last week right as a 
I did. As a website that you're a big fan of. Uh, I, I like it a lot as well. Yeah, Philadelphia Story is also on there as well. Um, it You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of TCM content on HBO Max, but mm-hmm. they don't put all of it on HBO no. Max. So don't don't think that you're seeing all the TCM stuff that's available on HBO Max. And on the Watch TCM website, you get the, the little intros and outros that they show yeah. on the television as well. So. Yeah, what I like about, I mean, this is it needs to be a plug for TCM real quick, but what I like about their app uh, is usually every month, pretty much anything they're showing on their programming is usually mm-hmm. on, available for that month on their apps. Like when Christmas came around, all of their Christmas movies they were showing from just the one showing to five times a month was available to watch uh on their app but yeah great app but for for some reason you're determined to not download that app it's also available to rent on any uh rental platform <laughs> quick cast intro intro brandon covered you know ryan o'neill barbara streisand madeline khan in her first ever uh, yep. screen appearance yep wow <laughs> yeah we can talk about that later but uh kind of exploded onto the screen with this movie they also the cast is just rounded out with an incredible group of comedic character actors Kenneth Mars, who is a frequent uh, collaborator with um, with Mel Brooks, mm-hmm. Austin Pendleton, uh, Michael Murphy, uh, John Hillerman, who would go on to do Magnum P.I., Randy Quaid, of course, coming over from his uh, appearance in The Last Picture Show, yep. and in very brief appearance by M- Emmett Walsh, one of my favorite yeah. character actors yeah. of all time. Um, he he shows up very very briefly. I think he has like one line. He d- yeah, he's a cop, right? Is he a co- he's a cop at the court in, in the, the courtroom room. scene? He he yeah, he's the the arresting officer. I think that's what he's credited as actually. Yeah. Um, crew intro, like I said, directed by Peter Bogdanovich, written by several screenwriters, yeah. which we'll get into later. Um, but uh, Buck Henry mm-hmm. uh, was was very heavily involved in the creation of it. Edited by Verna Fields. I actually forgot. I didn't catch that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Production design by Polly Platt, who we'll talk about uh, in the production of this film as yeah, well. The great Polly Platt. And, and then, well, also it's uh, shot by, oh, I don't know if you're getting this, but shot by Laszlo yeah. Kovacs. Yeah. Yeah. Shot by Laszlo Kovacs as well. Yeah. It's a, it's a who's who. So Brandon, initial thoughts. How many, you, you watched this last night. Yeah. I watched this last I night. I know you've seen it at least once before then because yeah, I've watched it at your apartment. <laughs> yeah. You picked it for our movie night. Um, it it was a few years ago. I really like it. Uh, it's 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 funny because at one point in the movie, because I kind of sometimes I forget of what happens in like the final third act of movies. It's a good thing and a bad thing of me. I'm like oh, I can be surprised each time. And it it got to like an hour mark, and I go, man, did we peak too soon here? <laughs> I was like, because I forgot about the. I mean, I remember like some of the chase, but I was like, oh, I'm like, like we had a, we had a half hour left in this movie. Like, what's it? This feels like the climax of them in this uh, kind of party scene, and then it just like gets crazy and mm-hmm. outlandish. It's like, oh no, it didn't peak too soon. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it's it's. I think uh, Barbara Streisand is great in this film. Bogdanovich really has a whole. I mean, he, he thing is Bogdanovich was. A student, and you'll probably you'll go into this. I know, and we've talked about him before with Last Picture Show, but him and Polly Platt as well were very much students of the old Hollywood uh, era of the 1930s and 40s, and so this very much feels like this is a very much a tribute uh, to that genre and specifically to Howard Hawks. Um, so I said it. It's it's a wild movie. 
It really is. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bogdanovich even named Ryan O'Neal's character after Howard Hawks. Yeah. Uh, his name is, is Howard. But yeah, let's uh, let's go into a little bit of how it got made, because it's a very fun story. Yeah. And it ties into the podcast, because the beginning, the this, this evolution of What's Up Doc starts with the ending of a movie we briefly touched on last month. Uh, we briefly touched on last month. I've already mm-hmm. forgotten what month we did. Um, we did Noir, or Neo Noir. What, yeah. Long, long Goodbye? <laughs> no, no. Kind of. Uh... Kind of. <laughs> In, in 1970, in 1970, uh-huh. Warner Brothers was producing A Glimpse of Tiger with Elliot Oh, yeah, Gould. we did talk about that. I, I did see that. I actually saw this at one point online the, yeah. yesterday. Yes. Which was an Correct. adaptation of a novel written by Herman Raucher, who wrote uh, Summer 42, which Brandon is a is a fan of. Yes. Um, but, but Glimpse of Tiger was meant to be about a New York con man who takes in a flighty college dropout and teaches her the ways of New York City as they fall in love. After Gould left or was fired, as we talked about last month, it was kind of it's it's debated um, yeah. whether he was having drug problems on set or whether he was having um, uh, mental health issues. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he left. The project is essentially dead. Warner Brothers d- decides to move on and make Glimpse of Tiger with his ex-wife Barbara Streisand. Not sure if they did that on purpose. <laughs> they were like, "Oh, his ex-wife," or if they were just looking to make a bar because Barbara Streisand was huge at this point. She yeah. had done. She won an Oscar for her first film appearance, 1968, mm-hmm. uh, f- for Funny Face. Done two fun, more funny, huge... funny girl, Funny Girl, Funny Girl, yeah, funny, yeah. Done two more huge musicals directly yeah. after that, and one and... Of them, one of them did not do well with Hello yeah, Dolly. But uh, but she was still looking. You know, Warner Brothers was excited to set her up with something, and so they got her attached to a glimpse of Tiger, and they asked her who she wanted to direct. She had just seen an early screening of the last picture show. It was not released yet, mm-hmm. but she had seen an early version, and she said, "I want Peter Bogdanovich." She was she was blown away by the movie, as we know from our episode talking yeah. about last picture show. Um, it's a pretty dire uh, black and white drama about coming of age in a small Texas town. Yeah, I was about to say like when he sounds like this guy knows comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Gl- Glimpse of Tiger, it, from what I can tell, it, it wasn't. It was a. It was a rom com technically, but it had. It definitely had some drama to it. Um, apparently, the novel ends with uh, the bomb going off and and the female oh, wow. character being killed and like the bombing of a building. Oh wow! I don't know. It seems wild. I'm glad yeah, we didn't go there. Crazy. So as as Peter Bogdanovich tells this story, Warner Brothers calls him in. They say Barbara Streisand wants to do a movie with you. Here's Glimpse of Tiger. He threw the script out. And told Warner Brothers, what I want to do instead is a Howard Hawks homage. Yeah. That's that's the Peter Bogdanovich version. Yeah. His ex-wife, famed production designer and producer Polly Platt, mm-hmm. has a different story in her memoir. Okay. Um, as she tells it, she and Bogdanovich were both working together on Orson Welles' Other Side of the Wind directly after finishing Last Picture Show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Things were a little tense because, as we covered in uh, Last Picture Show, Bogdanovich had had an affair with Sybil Shepard while shooting uh, Last Picture Show and left Platt. And and this was the first project they had worked together on. Platt was production designer and Bogdanovich was, was acting in the film. Um, but anyway, they struck up a kind of tense creative partnership on, the, on that set again. And he asked her to read the script for A Glimpse of Tiger. Um, Platt said she didn't care for the script at all, but she told him, she thought it would be funny if Streisand was given the eccentric con artist role instead of the 
kind of innocent college dropout. Yeah. And she says, this is what kind of suggesting that type of character is what set Bogdanovich down the path to go, oh, it's a Howard Hawks movie. Okay. So unknown who to credit that to, uh, debating, you know, the, the two different stories of how it happened but either way it happened yeah and um as we've discussed bogdanovich was a former film critic a film historian and, and he was perhaps the biggest lover of classical hollywood cinema of any of the 1970s all tours yeah, yeah. a lot of these guys were kind of trying to get away from classical hollywood and i think bogdanovich was enamored with it yeah i mean he um as we talked about before but he he um um like wrote books and stuff on um john ford and i think fritz lang mm-hmm. and he hung out with these guys and talked about them yeah so he was head first let's bring back the screwball comedy it had been dead for almost 30 years at that point it really had died off in the in the 40s and and the studio was was a little skeptical but he was peter bogdanovich there's a lot of buzz coming up he had a lot of famous friends yeah. so they let him go with it he first brought on uh, the screenwriting pair, David Newman and Robert Benton, who had written Bonnie and Clyde, mm-hmm. to write the script. Uh, they delivered three drafts, and then Warner Brothers suggested bringing in Buck Henry, the creator of Get Smart and writer of The Graduate, for some punch-up. For, for anyone who doesn't know, punch-up is just kind of the idea that you get a script, you get the story, and then you bring in somebody funnier um, <laughs> to to pepper in the jokes. They're yeah. not going to necessarily change the story at all. They're just going to punch up, you know, they're going to punch it up. They're going to make it funnier. Yeah. Um, Henry's first suggestion when he came in was that the film needed more suitcases. There are only uh, <laughs> there are only three at that point. Oh, uh, real quick, we didn't I didn't give you a plot intro. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And we need a, it. We, we need it for this movie. <laughs> there's a hotel, San Francisco. Yeah. There's four suitcases that are identical. One is being car- carried by Howard, played by Ryan O'Neill, and it's filled with rocks. And he is a musicology professor who is trying to get a grant to study the musical uh, properties of his rocks. Uh, another case is being carried by um, Judy, who is played by Barbara Streisand, who is a flighty college dropout. Uh, and it's just everything that she has to you know to her name is in this bag and then there's a bag being carried by uh michael murphy that is filled with government secrets and a bag being carried by a rich heiress who is staying in the hotel that is filled with diamonds and the hotel detective is trying to steal the diamonds and a cia operative is trying to get the government secrets back that that covers it all yeah that covers the basic yeah the basis and madeline Kahn is howard's uh fiance his fiance yeah who and 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 the, the putting the perspective too with 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 the character specifically howard howard is like is trying to be carrie grant and mm-hmm. bringing up baby uh yeah. it's kind of a, he's kind of a nerdy bookish character and who's extremely very, absent-minded yeah he's very oblivious to kind of the things that happen it's like that my real quick my one of my favorite parts is when they, when they first arrive and she goes i can't wait to come here on my honeymoon and she's like why we, why are we i thought we we're coming to san francisco uh howard we're in san francisco <laughs> um but yeah so apparently there were three suitcases in the newman and benton script and buck henry said it needs another suitcase um so he added the fourth case which was inspired by the pentagon papers which had just happened in 1971 uh, okay so okay. that's that's a very topical uh, yeah joke at that point in time yeah um 
but ever a fan of improv as well buck henry incorporated it into the script and for example for the fight scene at larrabee's house he only wrote there is now a fight which will be brilliantly staged by the director <laughs> henry then stayed on through production to help with re- improv and rewrites on set um which apparently a lot happened yeah oh so that that's prob that's why he, he gets top billing in terms of screenplay because it's screenplay by buck henry and then like everyone else is after him mm-hmm. so he so he really changed a lot uh and then polly platt who we were talking about earlier she was newly initiated as the first woman ever uh initiated into the art director's guild oh, wow. which was a very tough fight for her uh if you want to know a little bit more about polly platt there's a great series from uh karina longworth you must remember this mm-hmm. podcast series where they kind of go through her memoirs and talk to frank marshall who was peter bogdanovich's assistant at this point became a very prolific yeah producer as well uh it's a great it's a really good series i highly recommend it um but yeah so polly platt came back onto the film although she and bogdanovich were estranged at this point um but she had a huge influence on the development of the film the setting of new york had been held over from the glimpse of tiger script but she didn't think the city fit the more bohemian feel that had been given to streisand's judy character so she flew all around the country scouting cities. She went down to Texas. Uh, she went all up and down the West Coast. She went to Chicago. But eventually she called Bogdanovich from San Francisco to tell him she had found the perfect setting. And Bogdanovich and Buck Henry went to work incorporating that city heavily into the script, which, as you know, yeah. most of the like, I don't know what the script's third act really was without san francisco yeah but uh heartthrob ryan o'neill was soon brought on he was very hot at this point probably one of the hottest actors on the scene and uh bogdanovich immediately sent him to spend the day with cary grant studying his mannerisms (laughs) apparently ryan o'neill said he asked cary grant for tips and cary the only tip cary grant gave him was to wear silk underwear i heard this (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> okay thanks thanks Gary Grant. and and ryan o'neill uh, did and that's what i think yeah. he did yeah uh to prepare for the film bogdanovich held a screening of both bringing up baby and the lady eve for streisand and ryan o'neill okay streisand reportedly hated bringing up baby and left before the lady eve finished <laughs> okay we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about how streisand felt during the production of the film when we get to on set life oh, i really but... want to hear about that yeah but before that, Brandon, what are some what are some of your favorite scenes? Here? Okay, so favorite scenes. Uh, I'll say it's right out of the gate. So because we're we're starting off here, um, is is their meeting for the first time in the mm. in the, like pharmacy or like drugs where like the kind of like hotel store um, where Streisand and O'Neill meet, and I th- I think it's a it's a great. I mean, the thing about this movie too, he. They have really solid entrances for every character. Like for mm. the first like few minutes, you're really just meeting all the players in this movie, from mm. yeah. from all the people who had the bags, um, to Madeline Kahn, uh, to Streisand, to everyone like that. And then when they finally meet, even though I have questions of like how she just like she becomes attracted to him and then she's obviously like, i'm gonna follow this guy and like he's hot and she does what she wants he's that's what it is. i mean that's that's the thing i i, I kind of love about this movie too is how many movies have we seen where a guy does that and that's it, fair know, it's just that's, really that's fun a true to have that statement flip. That, yeah no you're right 
she she locks she sees him they don't lock eyes really she sees him and was just like i'm gonna follow him yeah i'm gonna follow that guy and hit on him relentlessly yeah yeah, yeah. and she just does it she's just like what's up doc that's her i think that's her first line to him is what's up doc mm-hmm. Yeah, because she's got the uh, she's got the carrot she stole off of the hotel tray. Is the carrot or like a breadstick? No, it's it's a carrot. It's a carrot. Okay, Definitely a carrot. Okay, I thought she grabbed a bread like like, like like a small little breadstick. That's yeah, Bugs Bunny. I, I I I'm aware of what the reference is. <laughs> yeah, she does it perfectly. What's up, Doc? I beg your pardon. We've got to stop meeting like this. I think you're making a mistake. You see, I just came in here for something for a headache. You're gonna need an awful big glass of water to get that down. What? Oh no no, you see. I'm a musicologist. I was just testing this specimen for inherent tonal quality. Uh-huh. I have this theory about early man's musical relationship to igneous rock formations. Uh-huh. Oh, but I guess you're not really interested in igneous rock formations. Not as much as I am in the metamorphic or sedimentary rock categories. I mean, I can take your igneous rocks or leave them. I relate primarily to micas, quartz, feldspar. You can keep your pyroxenes magnetized and coarse grain platonics as far as I'm concerned. I forgot why I came in here. Headache. Oh, yes, thank you. And goodbye. Well, their, their energy is so fun in this movie because, you know, with, with Philadelphia Story last week, we covered a movie with that fast screwball dialogue where everyone is on top of it. Yeah. You know, everyone's going so fast and they're just firing back at each other. Like we said, even the people who aren't in the conversation have these quips. And with with judy and howard judy is just like that she's rapid fire and howard has no idea what's going on and so he's not really like fi- he's just he keeps asking questions and he's like what who i'm i'm not steve who's steve uh and so it's a very different yeah it's it's a very different type of energy but it's still that insanely fast rhythm that that they had in in something like philadelphia story yeah it's fair i mean he it's it, they're they're both kind of characters from like the early films but i think she probably she embodies the genre probably more but she also she has the most modern spin on it in a way as an actress mm-hmm. like it, it is it's it's a great thing of seeing how she really has one foot in the in the past and maybe not purposefully i like guess if, if she's like i'm not i don't like this movie and i'm not watching lady eve like but she just naturally has that rhythm and pace of that old time old timey genre basically so what, what's the scene that you had I love the I love the scene at the dinner um, yeah. for the grant kind of at the the reception when he first finds her she's she's come in and, and taken his fiance's name tag and is pretending to be his fiance and you've got Kenneth Mars there as his competing uh, scholar who's also trying to get the the grant and then Austin Pendleton is hilarious in this movie i love him so much in this movie (laughs) because they keep talking you know they're talking about this guy who's giving out this big academic grant and then he shows up and he's very like 70s and yeah long hair very hip hip. yeah yeah and uh it's just like obviously in love with judy yeah (laughs) it just keeps me like she's great she's great fun (laughs) f-u-n fun And they've got that that sequence where where Howard tells Judy like I have to speak to you privately, and she she says I'll meet you under the table, and then like drops her very like deadpans like Oops, I have dropped my napkin, and then they all end up under the table, and Austin Pendleton comes down. And I love when Ken, like how I love how quickly Austin Pendleton get, gets annoyed with Kenneth Mars's character. <laughs> <laughs> And that scene, like Kenneth Mars ducks under the table as well, and Austin yeah. Pendleton's like, um, "Excuse me, we were having a conversation under here." And then everyone else comes down, 
and they've got that amazing cutaway to the, to waiter. the waiter where yeah. the, the manager's like what kind of wine are you giving that table so i have a, i have a i noticed this in this movie of how the waiters and like i don't like use this but kind of the help like the kind of like regular people in this movie just like are kind of like always observing these crazy mm-hmm. antics yeah. And they're either they're not really giving a big reaction to it. Like mm-hmm. my one of my favorite ones is um, the guy who's setting up the uh, uh, the room service, <laughs> the room service when guy. the when the room <laughs> is on fire and he is just and like keep, he's just like setting grabbing the stuff off the the cart and he's still like putting <laughs> it, down. it down. And it's just like oh, no big deal, just set just yeah. doing my job. And like if and and there's many times where we cut to like a wait staff and they're just like. Like they're reacting, but not in like a oh my god, like a big over the top way. It's like there was mm-hmm. another one when the when the big kind of like free for all for the brief or for the for the suitcases in that house, and there's a waiter who walks out of the door with a drink, sees the craziness, and then just walks back and like knocks <laughs> over the drink, and then just walks yeah. into the back of the kitchen. Like there's just something there where like all like they always it's it's a it's a fun way to see like cut to the wait staff to see them react to these kind of usually rich people and how mm. stupid they're being and like yeah. they're just used to it yeah and one one of the things i love about the the reception scene as well is bogdanovich is fantastic at doing these comedy set pieces that just peak and peak and peak and then hit this like yeah. insane climax and then kind of die off and this one is uh, this one ends with madeline khan like forcing her way you know, they just get more and more ridiculous. And this one has Madeline yeah. Khan forcing her way into the dining hall and like dragging the two people behind her. And she gets to the table and everybody's <laughs> under the table. And they just have that, that like quick, that close up on Ryan O'Neill where he's like, I've never seen her before in my life. <laughs> they like drag her out. But yeah, like that. And, and you know, with the, with the, the room on fire, you know, they have these, these huge, you know, screwball. Yeah comedy set pieces that just get bigger and bigger and bigger until you, you, you he almost it's like bogdanovich can't even con- contain he can't, him anymore no he actually can't he can't really end the scenes a lot of the time if you notice mm-hmm. like the one in when it's the fire in the hotel room he just fades to black like it's yeah. it's literally just like i don't know how to end this it's just you have ryan o'neill throw a bottle like screw it and walk off yeah. camera and then we fade to black and that's the mm-hmm. next morning and it's like the room is charred and Ryan O'Neill's just like laying in bed. And I was mm-hmm. like, what happened to get here? Like, why is the hotel manager just now coming in the next morning to say, Hey, <laughs> we need you to leave. Like he's that not the night manager, you know, he's the that's day true. manager. Like he, and, and John Hillerman, who I think plays that character, he, mm. he was in the running early on for uh Beatrice straight for me, but I don't know if he's going to win it because someone else comes in much later. But yeah, he, he's here. he was in Magnum PI, but yeah, he, He's great in that one scene. I love the beat where Ryan O'Neill's like, I'm just going to wait for my fiance in the lobby. And, and John uh-huh. Hillman just gives this very like slight like shake of his head. <laughs> Ryan O'Neill's like, oh, no. okay, all right, I'll, I'll leave. <laughs> Good morning. No, I don't think so. I'm Mr. Kaltenborn, the manager of what's left of the hotel. I'm awfully sorry about this whole mess here. Usually this doesn't happen. Mr. Bannister, I have a message for you from the staff of the hotel. Really? What is it? Goodbye. That's the entire message? We would appreciate it if you would check out. When? Yesterday. That soon? I don't suppose you have another room you could let me use just for... No. 
Oh, well. These are my igneous tabular rocks. Yes, of course they are. Uh, where were you uh, thinking of going now? Well, my fiance, Miss Sleep, is still burning, and Miss Burns is still sleeping. I thought maybe I would just sit in the lobby and wait. Mm. No. I'm. Well, I'm. I'm awfully sorry about the room. Oh, that's all right. We have lots of others. So I'm trying to decide: Do I ask my big question now or later? Because it deals with a lot of the people we're talking about, like the cast-wise. And I don't know where to fit this question. So I'm going to ask it now. All right. What is Mel Brooks' career if he doesn't see this movie? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, no, I mean, absolutely. Like, Kenneth Mars and Madeline Kahn both became huge collaborators but with him. Not just that. So, so Madeline Kahn, who's in Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, High Anxiety. History of the World. History of the World. Kenneth Mars, Young Frankenstein, and I think a few others that I'm blanking on. I think he, he's in Silent mm -hmm. Movie, maybe. Uh, John Hillerman mm -hmm. is in Blazing Saddles uh, and History of the World Part 1. Uh, Liam Dunn, who plays the judge at the end <laughs> of the movie, is in Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. And I just wonder, because this is... What's Up Doc kind of proved this point that you could take an old genre and put it in a modern telling, but also What's Up Doc is a weird one because it kind of borders parody at some points, but yeah. doesn't fully go into it. And I wonder if Mel Brooks saw this and goes, oh, I could do that with other genres. I mean, I'm sure he saw it. He and Buck Henry were good friends. They'd, yeah. They'd worked together on Get Smart for years, but... Um... So it's just funny because at this point, Mel Brooks just made Producers and 12 Chairs. So he hasn't mm -hmm. gone in like spoofing genres yet, and then two years yeah. after this Other, movie, I mean, Get, Get Smart was a was a spoof, but it was oh, that's it was true, television. that's true, that's true. Yeah, but I mean, movie wise, it's just like two years later, that's when he does. It's just it's just it's it's weird to see that four cast members of this movie, two years later, all pop up in Young Frankenstein or Blazing Saddles, and continue to work with Mel Brooks for a while. Yeah. No, I think I think you got I think you you have a good point there, and and it's definitely got that kind of energy. Well, and I'd, I'd argue that at least Young Frankenstein has a lot of screwball it does. comedy energy to it. Uh, maybe not Blazing Saddles as much, but Blazing Saddles does have that kind of third act that like explodes yeah, gets crazy beyond the boundaries of the rest of the film. Yeah, yeah, definitely feels closer to this. Yeah, I I don't know if he saw, I don't know if he said I can do this, but it just feels like. There is some correlation. I mean, I, I think he absolutely 100% saw this and said, those are some very funny people. <laughs> that, I've never, that I've never seen before in movies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, it, it goes to be said, Peter Bogdanovich would work with Madeline Kahn and John Hillerman the next year on uh, Paper Moon as well. Yes. So they, they very obviously came to the forefront with, with Bogdanovich. But yeah, I, I think, I think Madeline Kahn definitely became even more famous because of her her work with with Mel Brooks. And she and I'll ask this too and she, she, I wonder if she's like one of the most underrated like film comedians like uh, like like female comedians that we've seen. Like cuz she mm -hmm. just kind of like she was in a lot of great films 
for a very short amount of time, it feels like. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I just think she's phenomenal in pretty much any performance I've seen her. In. Even in bad movies, I think she's the best part. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. And 100%. she, and like I said, she, the, the scene when she comes in, like of the, of the, of the banquet, um, what else? Even just her and the, and the, um, and, uh, the guy and, and the big kind of like, uh, four bag kind of, uh, 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 fiasco when she's like, when she gets the gun at one point and just starts shooting it up in the air. <laughs> and like, then she drops it. She just like drops it. Yeah. She... It's just like, she's amazing. And, and, and the thing is that mm-hmm. if you put someone else in this role and maybe we're jumping ahead of this with the awards and stuff, but if you put the, someone else in this role, I don't think it works as well. No. Absolutely not. I think she really has a grasp of, of not becoming just the the stereotypical like I guess nagging fian like fiance. Mm-hmm. Like there's something about she adds she adds just a great. Uh, yeah, it would be very easy for this character to not be funny. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she, yeah, she. I mean, obviously the script makes it funny, but she, she it, someone with this same script could have made that character annoying and instead she makes it hilarious. Now, Howard, I want you to make a good impression on Mr. Larrabee. Now, tell me exactly what you're going to say to him. What? Well, I'll I'll probably say something like, hello there, Mr. Larrabee, I'm Howard. You are not. I'm not Howard. You are not going to say, hi, my name is Howard. Anyone can say that, anyone. Anyone named Howard. You are going to walk straight up to him and take his hand in a firm, masculine handshake and say, Mr. Larrabee, I am Dr. Howard Bannister. It is a privilege to meet you, sir. Think you can do that? Yes, I think I can. Well, do your best. Be dignified. I'll be dignified. Be solemn, but not stuffy. I'll be solemn. Act friendly, but impersonal. I'll act friendly. Pull the door open. I'll pull the door open. Well, goodbye, Eunice. Now, don't be nervous, Howard. Just remember, everything depends on this. But I also like the the kind of aftermath scene where... Ryan O'Neill just accidentally goes up to the top floor of the hotel because he's dumb and doesn't know how to work an elevator. Um, mm-hmm. And Barbara Streisand's just like sleeping under a sheet on top <laughs> of piano, and they just start they just start singing as time goes by. I mean, yeah, you got Barbara Streisand, you got to have her. Sing, you got to have like, her period. sing at some point. Yeah, that's that's what you have yeah. to. Do. And but it's also like with what you find out in that scene too with her is like that she's she's a college dropout, but she's a very. Uh, intelligent uh and I don't, yeah, I don't, she's dropped out of like a dozen like, colleges like, it, like, <laughs> and it's like she's like oh duh, did this at texas a&m this is like tuskegee institute did this at uh in new york this here like she'd studied all these different things because but i guess it's this kind of idea that she she can't be put into a box as kind of the the yeah. character she wants to learn everything why do i have to choose just one thing is kind of how she feels fun fact i'm gonna jump ahead to some of my fun facts but go ahead and bring this one in here uh, that was not a set. That was the restaurant and, and the roof of the hotel they were shooting in was oh, really? in the middle of a remodel, and they they loved it. So they brought the piano up, but that was the real top floor of that hotel. That's a real backdrop behind them. That is the actual view of, of San Francisco from that hotel. What's wrong? The future. What's the matter with it? Well, judging from the recent past listen think... you know what edmund burke said you can never plan the future by the past i beg your pardon i guess you're wondering what a nice girl like me is doing quoting an 18th century guy like yes. edmund burke i was a political science major at colorado state oh is that where you gathered your information hey look you Lox? got a case just like mine uh-huh no 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 
Advanced Geology, Wellesley. And what about the music? Bennington, Musical Appreciation, Complet, Northwestern University. Is that it? Archaeology, Tuskegee Institute, General Semantics, University of Chicago, Veterinary Medicine, Texas A&M, say when. What were you trying to become? A graduate. Why is that so important? It was important to my father. He was very upset when I was asked to leave the first college I ever went asked to. Asked to leave? Bounced. You want to know why? Uh, no. No. Anyway, he sent me someplace else after that, but that didn't work out either. None of them did. Some of it was very nice, though. You know, I read a lot of good books. I went to a lot of movies, mostly, but something always seemed to go wrong. Yes, I can believe that. Well, this last time was not my fault. What happened? Nothing. Nothing, really. It was just a, a, a little classroom. It, it sort of burned down. Burned down? Well, blew up, actually. Political activism? Chemistry major. Do you have any more scenes? Court scene is incredible, and it is... It is so much fun because you've just come off of this crazy high energy 10 minute chase scene throughout San Francisco. And it's almost like it's it's like a masterclass in different types of humor because you go from this very like almost like Chaplin, like yeah. old, old Hollywood, like silent era slapstick for yeah. like 10 minutes straight. And then you go into the scene that's very like Abbott and Costello almost. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You, just, just all these people. You, me, who? <laughs> yeah, you as me. You, no, no, you are not me. No, I'm not. Yeah. Or it's like, yeah, or, yeah. and that it, the, my favorite line too is it goes, "Does that make sense?" He goes, "No, but it's consistent." To, uh, the, the, <laughs> <laughs> the judge when he's so confused, he is incredible. His, he is his amazing in this. Um, which I, I read he was previously a casting director. He'd done a little bit of was acting, he? but Bogdanovich was the one who who had worked with him before and was like, I want you to, to come act in this scene. Uh-huh. But his he is so much fun in this. And he's got that whole monologue about how much he hates everyone. Then <laughs> um, that amazing, when he first walks out and turns to the bailiff and is like, look at this depraved group of ne'er-do-wells. And the bailiff's like, that's, that's the audience. <laughs> They're the spectators. <laughs> Let's see. I mean, yeah, and then just the end, the big ending of um, the 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 massive stunt. The stunts are the the whole chase scene is incredible, and there's mm-hmm. just like little stunts that happen. I go, that was probably very difficult. Yeah, I love the guy. It's very quick, and it it seems like it has nothing to do other than the fact that Bogdanovich probably wanted to do this gag. But the guy who's just walking down the street and all of the trash cans start coming after him. Yeah. And it, it's he, great. he like jumps over a, a jumps over a wall and lands on a table. And but he it's, lands it's hard. So he lands yeah, hard yeah. on that table like that. He mm-hmm. he was not walking great after that. Um, well, there was what was what was no one. Or even just like I was talking about like when Ryan O'Neill jumps on the bicycle. Like yeah. I was like that's a difficult stunt, but because that's a wide shot. Yeah, and well, she he falls off once. I'm not sure if that was planned or not, but he yeah. doesn't make it on the first. She's show. she's going fast down that hill mm-hmm. or wherever they're at, and he's he's booking it like he's running, and he yeah he almost I was like if he slips like he's getting run over by a bike like she yeah. is running him over. All right, well here's a little bit on set life. I know you're waiting to hear what it was like. So. Like we discussed a little bit earlier, after starring in, in three big musicals, Streisand had expected something a little bit different when she had asked to work with the director of, of The Last Picture Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably a drama, I'd imagine. Yeah. But she uh, she found the entire idea of a screwball comedy infantile and was certain through the entire filming that the movie was going to be a flop. According to O'Neill, she told Bogdanovich early on that she had never met a director who could actually direct her. And as O'Neill put it, Bogdanovich directed the hell out of both of them. Oh, man. Uh, driving for the fast-paced dialogue and the physical humor of the screwball comedies he loved. There's there's some pictures. Uh, 
Bogdanovich before every scene would rehearse with each actor separately with him playing the other role to show them. And, and so like he would have, he would bring Streisand in, he would have O'Neill stand and watch. And then he and Streisand would go through it and he would go to O'Neill and he would be this, which, you know, technically yeah, textbook s- directors are not supposed to give line readings, but it was like gigantic line readings. Yeah. That's, I don't know how I feel about that, but I, I, I understand his like, reason reasoning for doing it i don't know how i feel about it though yeah but i mean you, you have to imagine he's he's got these two like very hot actors but this he's trying to nail this style that they're probably not familiar with like i imagine neil and streisand you know didn't really know how to do that because because that kind of dialogue that kind of acting had been dead for like 30 years yeah and the, um, and you gotta think too like we're in a different time now we're like hey we can just go purchase this movie on amazon or stream it wherever when you're looking at 1972 if you didn't see us in theaters you are either seeing it at like a revival house depending on what city Mm -hmm. you're in or you see it on cable like that's the thing is that the 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 access to these type films of the 30s and 40s were not easy to come by at this point in time like Mm -hmm. and so you're looking at if they didn't know it because because they weren't of a i mean they weren't they're younger than because i think streisand was like 29 or 30 at this point in time like they weren't watching these movies when they're growing up probably mm-hmm. um so it's the yeah, streisand wasn't watching them when it, it, bogdanovich yeah, asked her to yeah. so <laughs> so while things between streisand and bogdanovich sound like they were a little tense uh she and polly platt became fast friends platt recognized that streisand had a very deep desire to get involved in the production aspects of the film and started getting streisand's input in a lot of the design aspects of of judy's character and it honestly sounds like it was polly platt who set streisand down the path to directing to me because she she really got streisand involved in in making a lot of creative choices for her character that yeah that makes i mean polly platt uh, and we had briefly mentioned this before uh, almost a year ago when we talked about Texas movies, but like she, she could spot talent incredibly well and really loved shepherding that talent. Mm-hmm. And that shows us even just here. And the, I mean, even with Frank Marshall, cause I know she was a big Frank Marshall's a bit, as you said, like we've talked about her big fan of her. And I think she went around with, or he went around with her a lot when like location scouting, I think for mm-hmm. last picture show um so so yeah she really loved bringing in young talent and like propping them up for success Mm -hmm. yeah yeah we mentioned during the texas uh week as well that that wes anderson was one of her kind of mentees for for bottle rocket yeah and it was like james l brooks that hired her to do production design she kind of like she's listed again same in this case she's listed as production designer art 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 director or something but she had much more of a hand in producing than what she got credit for. Mm-hmm. So much of the film's production time was centered around the third act car chase. The sequence took up a quarter of the $4 million budget and 20 days worth of shooting. Whew. This, uh, this production is infamous for raising the requirements to gain a shooting permit in San Francisco. It is now very tough <laughs> to shoot in San Francisco. And it's directly because of this film, because the city was not made aware of many of the wild stunts the movie was planning to pull off. Oh, I bet. There's actually specifically a shot when the four cars go down the set of stone stairs in the park. Um, yeah. You might recognize the stairs from from Vertigo as well. Yeah. Uh, that was not okayed by production. <laughs> they did not know that, or by the, by the city. 
They did not know that was going to happen. And you can actually see in the shot, you can see one of the cars take a chunk out of the stone stairs. And that still has not been repaired to this day. Oh, wow. <laughs> really? Yeah. 50, almost 50 years later, we're like, that was from What's Up Talk right there. Yeah. They're like, there's historic stone steps. We can't just like patch up this little piece of stone. Oh, so. man. But yeah, that was something I, I had read that before I, I rewatched it this past time. And I, I didn't expect to actually see the chunk come out in the take. But you, you really do. You just see one of the tires hit it and it just crumbles. I'm going to have to go watch that now rewatch that scene so uh once the film was complete uh bogdanovich was worried that audiences weren't ready for the return of a full-on screwball comedy like like you mentioned earlier this this was a genre that was essentially dead you know people weren't going back and, and watching Cary grant movies at that point it was very hard to do uh and he was he was especially worried that people weren't going to be ready for this from a man who had previously delivered a thriller about a mass shooting and a drama about coming of age in small town texas this was right on the heels of Last Picture Show. It was released while they were shooting uh, Bringing Up Baby. He he had, he had gone into work on this before it, it was released. I mean, Bringing Up Baby. Well, <laughs> what's up, Doc? Yeah. Um, so he became kind of an, an, an overnight success story for Last Picture Show. And so everyone was clamoring for, you know, it's that kind of thing. You walk out of the theater, you're like, wow, that was amazing. Who's this guy? And then you find out, oh, he's got a new movie coming out in like less than a year. <laughs> I'm so excited. And uh, it's it's a little different. Yeah. So uh, he said he said at the premiere, it was a very stuffy Hollywood affair. And the first 10 minutes of the movie absolutely bombed because the audience just didn't know if they were allowed to laugh at a Peter Bogdanovich movie. Interesting. And according to Bogdanovich, John Cassavetes stood up, yelled out, I can't believe he's doing this. <laughs> and the audience... <laughs> The audience then cracked up, and from then on, the screening was a success. And Bogdanovich said, John and I became friends after that. It's my favorite review I've ever gotten for a film. <laughs> I can't believe he's doing this. Oh, that's great. Streisand also came to the premiere, but did not care for it. Uh, <laughs> did not win her over to see it in the end. Uh, but even though she didn't care for it, audiences did. Yeah. Uh, What's Up Doc went on to become the third highest grossing film of 1972 behind The Godfather and The Poseidon Adventure. It grossed uh, $66 million on its $4 million budget. Wow. It was released with the tagline, Screwball Comedies, remember them? That was, <laughs> that was pasted over the top of the poster. And people were like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> uh, Roger Ebert? gave the film three stars three out of four saying uh it is food at last for we who hunger for a screwball comedy utterly lacking in redeeming social importance <laughs> yeah i mean it's interesting because probably around this time of 70s cinema everything has to be about something like mm -hmm. social decay or urban decay or violence or whatever and bogdan's like i'm just gonna make it like a silly comedy it's just yeah. like the, the most political thing in here is going to be, you know, a little reference to the Pentagon Papers. papers. That's it. But it's done in such a like it, it's again, you know, it's a comedic thing. It's like, well, there's a part when Michael Murphy towards the end when he's like, the people need to know what's in them. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like yelling <laughs> like people need to know. Another critic who we've discussed recently was not a fan of was, throwbacks and homage. Was Pauline, Pauline Kael did not like this movie? Pauline Kael said she did praise Madeline Kahn's performance. Okay. She um she really liked Madeline Kahn in it, but she said 
It's too early in the history of movies for this feeding off of the past. The result is too infantile to even be called decadent. Man, I, w- I wish Pauline Kael was around the day to talk about what's coming out. I really do. I really <laughs> what do. would Pauline Kael say, say about, about the 20... MCU? Oh, God. Well, yeah, what would Pauline Kael be saying about Wonder Woman 84? That's my question. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Yeah, it's it's so funny. She she just really did not like anybody. You know, she wanted everything to be original. I guess. But but that's a very fair point. That's the thing about Pauline Kale. We've said this before. It's like she you might disagree, but like, that's something she says. But like it's a fair point. She's probably saying, "Why are we spending time rehashing things we've already done when we should just like make something new and original?" I mean, that's a constant debate we have today. I I do think there is something though to taking a old genre and t- turning it on its head or giving or even just giving it a tribute in some way um i mean i th- that's that's again i've said before so i i don't understand how she would love brian de palma who does just that but does not like these movies that do that it's just interesting well nevertheless the film has become considered a classic over the year it's currently sitting as uh, number 58 on the wga's list of best comedies of all time number 61 on afi's best american comedies of all time and number 68 on afi's best love stories of all time and though critics have come to love the film over the years someone who has not is barbara streisand oh i bet uh during her afi honors in 2001 when streisand got up to speak after uh, a presentation on her career she noted that what's up doc was brought up several times why do people keep talking about what's up doc she said i never understood what's up doc <laughs> but she's great it's so weird because she's, she's great she's in great in this movie that's funny yeah she's great it's one of her best comedic performances yeah. i think and, uh, this is one where i go this is one, and i know she was great she was great in a in funny girl but this is when i watch it oh i see why she acted for a while like i see mm. how she was able to make that transition from this movie because that was the thing is that before this film as we said like she was just doing like musicals and like these lavish big musicals that were kind of out of date for the hollywood Mm -hmm. for the for the for the american audiences and this was like we'll take something that's been out of date and turn it into something modern and yeah i think i think she has great charisma i think she really has uh, she has a better presence on screen in this movie than ryan o'neill does personally yeah she takes complete control of this movie. Yeah. And, and I think um, I think because Ryan O'Neill's trying to emulate, emulate Cary Grant a little too much. Um, and that's hard to do. Well, and it's a tough character because he's almost yeah, brain dead. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. And I'm not saying it's him, but yeah, it's it's very much like, hey, be Cary Grant, but brain dead. So what what worked, Brandon? That's that's our aftermath. As we just said, Barbara Streisand, I think, is fantastic in this film. I I really love the San Francisco setting. I really, mm-hmm. I really like the way Polly Platt. Po- yeah, I think Polly Platt with picking that is was a incredible decision. I really like San Francisco movies. I found out, and specifically when they really know how to use the location. And this movie, they really. Knew, I mean, it's. I when watching like the like the 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 big finale, it's like oh, this is like just a postcard for San Francisco. Like it's just like we're yeah. seeing all the big like. The whole like the 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 famous road that goes down that I think is now like closed off or whatever for like like uh, like Lom- a, Lombard yeah Lombard Street Lombard I think Street. Is what it, yeah you get you get the uh, the kind of trolleys as they're like passing through you get the kind of hilly mm-hmm. San Francisco you get kind of the kind of the port of San Francisco 
um you get a lot of um just like touristy type things well even from the start you know i I was watching it this time with the knowledge that that the script it wasn't originally scripted for san francisco and just trying to watch you know how much how many gags bogdanovich and and buck henry must have come up with and even from the from the get-go they've got that the the joke that the cia agent has the golf bag and he keeps throwing away golf clubs because he keeps trying to climb all these san francisco hills like you that joke would not have been in the new york script no not at all um so i think they really they use location wisely um I think overall, just the cast. I said Streisand is the big one, but I think the cast overall is just is great. Yeah, it's incredible, rounded, well-rounded supporting cast. What about you? Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I, I think just the idea of, of making this homage, contrary to Pauline Kael, I'm sorry, uh, it, I think works. it really works. It works. I, I yeah. think it's fun. I think it's fun to see, like we said, regardless of how Streisand felt about it. I think she nails it, and I think it's so fun to see all these these actors get to do that style uh you know do that really fast-paced dialogue going back and forth and 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 get wacky and do this physical comedy and yeah i i have to agree with roger ebert i you know i i adore last picture show it's one of my favorite films of all time i love the whole film movement of the 70s but it's so much fun to get to see something like this made in that period with these these actors who are around at that time and these filmmakers and and not just Bogdanovich, but like we talked about all these people who are working in the background on this film, it's, it's so much fun to get to see them all put their talents towards this kind of throwback. In my opinion. No, I agree. I mean, it's kind of what we've talked about. We've said before with like, say Cass and Spielberg with like Indiana Jones and those movies, like how to take an old throwback and put a modern, modern storytelling aspects to it mm-hmm. and and bogdanovich is coming at it in an interesting way of where he's aware of the genre like he's a student of the genre so like he knows all the elements that go into it and he kind of has a little bit of leeway because people are unaware of the genre at least modern audiences um so he kind of has like i can kind of take from wherever and put it put it in my own put in a blender and make my own my own thing out of it and i think he does that all right so did anything not work for you (sighs) okay there's one nitpick i have with this um and that's the the ending scene that was that was gonna be my pick too was it really (laughs) and the editing it's it i don't want to point any fingers at verna fields because i know that that they set her up for this but they're like oh look at that So so dumb, and it, 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 for a film that has so much incredible, and I'm I'm sure it's that they probably might have even not even had everybody on the schedule at that point. I don't, I don't know, or maybe they just wrote into the script and they didn't have the gags ready yet. But there's in the in the final scene, Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill are kind of standing in the middle of the airport, and they they're having this conversation. But but Barbara Streisand will break it up to go like, oh look at that, and then they'll cut away to a gag wrapping up one of the supporting characters storylines and it's just in a movie that has had impeccable comedic rhythm throughout it's such a weird yeah cut and and it breaks up their their reconciliation it's yeah it does not work for me that wasn't even what i was talking about but that is true yeah that no my thing is the ending is the ending like dialogue exchange because it's is it too topical for you the the love story the dunking to- on love story well, yeah it's it's well i guess it's more like uh, it works for the time 
Um, mm. But here, I don't know how it looks in my... So basically, at the end of the movie, as Ryan O'Neill thinks Barbara Streisand has left, Howard thinks that Judy has left, he's on the plane going back to his college to teach, and he overhears her uh, on the plane. She's behind him. And basically, she's telling a random old lady next to her that she is going to the college that he's teaching at. And there's the line of when she says, love means never having to say you're sorry. And Ryan O'Neill had just become famous for the movie Love Story. And that's that's like the quotable line of, and she says it, and it just cuts to Ryan O'Neill and goes, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And then the movie just ends. And the kiss in the movie ends. And it... I bet it was funny in the theaters when it happened. Yeah, you got to imagine that killed because that, that movie killed. was Love Story was huge. Yeah, but because it's such a it's probably was such a big joke then. But when looking at modern context, if I had no recollection of Love Story, it would be probably a little funny, but it it isn't like a great ending if that makes sense. Like if I don't yeah, know yeah, Love it's Story, just, it's, it's dated. Yeah, and because I don't know many people who like maybe i'm wrong with this i don't think people who love that movie nowadays um yeah but i don't think many people loved that movie back then it was one of those movies it was almost i don't know like 50 shades of gray or something you know it was yeah. super cheesy yeah, yeah, and yeah. everyone in the world had seen it but yeah. i think it was pretty publicly derided you yeah know, it was one of those things everyone saw it everyone knew who ryan o'neill was after that but yeah it, I, I don't think it was ever a critical success yeah but to say that it it, it does go with the whole uh uh, satirical view of love it does mm. capture that and that ending i do love the, i do love the joke where um where the heiress comes back and is like you could have made twenty thousand yeah. dollars but i paid off these people and these people and these people uh it's some some of the storylines are tied up uh rather f- fun i like the austin pendleton and, and madeline Kahn. i like that yeah. they give madeline Kahn a happy ending yes uh and yeah, some of those little cutaways, like the cutaway to, to Fritz, the the hotel manager, it's so kind of odd. buying a ticket. Yeah. yeah, we didn't need that. Yeah, and uh, Michael Murphy going after the the CIA guy with a with bolt cutters, with bolt cutters. Yeah, um, but again, it's, it's, and I see we're also talking about Screwball County. It's like it's it's also very it's it's there's definitely a lot of Looney Tunes vibe mm-hmm. in the movie because I mean it's called What's Up Doc, but like like that. The ending of him going after him with the bolt cutter, a huge bolt cutter, is very mm-hmm. Looney Tunes-esque to me. It's also, you know, we talked about how Bogdanovich builds up to these huge comedic set pieces. And it's just kind of hard to, to top that courtroom scene. Um, the courtroom scene gets so, it builds and builds and builds and is so ridiculous until, you know, it ends with the, the judge banging his gavel so hard that he's broken his, uh, his entire uh, desk. Well, anyway, that night at the banquet, she was there again. Who was there? Who was there? Your wife or your fiancé? Neither. There's a third? No, sir. The one who isn't either. Everyone was calling her Burnsy. Why? Well, that's short for Burns. That's Eunice's last name. Oh, so Eunice was there. No, sir. Burnsy was there. Or rather, the one who isn't Burnsy. I think I want to skip over this part, too. Well, that night, I went back to my room, and she was there taking a bath. Who was there no, no, don't tell me. Just go on. Well, when Eunice walked in and the drapes caught fire and everything burned, they asked me to leave the hotel. I really don't blame them. Good boy. Is there more? Oh, sure. There's more. Well, the next day, today, uh, Mr. Larrabee asked me to come to his house with my rocks and to bring Eunice, or rather Burnsy, the one he thinks is Eunice. Is that clear? 
No, but it's consistent. Shall I go back over it? Oh, no, please, I beg you. Just, just go on. Well, it gets kind of complicated now. First, there was this trouble between me and Hugh. You and me? No, not you, Hugh. I am you. You and me? No, I am you. Stop saying that. Make him stop saying that. Don't touch me, I'm a doctor. Have what? Music. Can you fix a hi-fi? No, sir. Then shut up! As far as alternate universe cast, I couldn't really find any alternative casting uh, other than, you know, the original Edge of Tiger cast was meant to be Elliot Gould and Kim Darby fresh off of True Grit as the um. uh, as the college dropout. What happens if Elliot Gould's in this movie, though? I want to ask that. Like, what, like, I, don't, I mean, the, the wild thing is Elliot Gould was supposed to be... The Barbra Streisand there's, character. There's some sort of DNA of what Gould's character was supposed to be within... Yeah within Barbara Streisand's character. So, yeah, I think I had read cuz uh like I I think Bogdanovich is great, but I do think sometimes he uh doesn't provide you all the information if that makes sense. It's like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I was also going to mention there's a great uh, there's a great podcast with Peter Bogdanovich that Turner Classic Movies did, and it's I highly recommend doing that one and the Polly Platt one yeah. at the same time <laughs> back and forth and then maybe you get you get somewhere within the full picture of, of his career and their relationship uh, if you do both of them. Yeah, the only thing we took from A Glimpse of the Tiger was, and I don't remember it very well, was the idea that the leading character had been to a lot of colleges. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> and I'm like, ah. Yeah, the, the, way, the way Platt tells it, there was a lot more uh, of that DNA that, that came over. Yeah. But, um, Either way, uh, it sounds like, I mean, obviously, Streisand was attached to the film when it started. Ryan O'Neill was a huge get. So it, it sounds like they pretty much got everyone they wanted to, which, I mean, Bogdanovich was a, was a huge up-and-coming director at the time, so, so it makes sense. Yeah. Um, so a couple of film facts. Okay. This was the first American film to credit stunt players. Wow, really? Very well deserved. Yeah, yeah, they earned it. Some incredible stunt work on this movie. Um, the first international film to have previously done it was Thunderball. Okay. Six, that's 65, right? But, uh, Is that 65, 66? Yeah. But they get a, uh, they, yeah, they get a full title card at the end. Um, uh, the, the fender bender that Judy causes when she walks into the hotel in the opening scene mm-hmm. was a last minute idea by Bogdanovich and Henry. Bogdanovich reportedly sent a crew member to rent two cars and told him, make sure you get collision insurance. <laughs> but that just shows you how much kind of improv and, and, and writing on set was happening between the two of them. Also, along with that, almost all of Kenneth Mars's dialogue was improvised, according to, to Buck Henry. And the section at the end when he gets mad and starts speaking, speaking in a foreign tongue yeah. was uh, made up by Mars on the spot. And he was mimicking the Croatian that Bogdanovich had been raised speaking by his immigrant parents. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. You know, he just kind of like stumbles off, like speaking. Yeah, some yeah. Sort he's, of he's just, and you're just and it leaves it on him. You're like, what is that guy saying? He's just <laughs> so upset. Uh, now that's a that's a great little twist at the end, um, where you where Streisand because she's so she's read so much of all these different places and gone all these different colleges, where she knows that this guy is like lying about yeah, what after, he's doing after all the. It's, yeah, and it's a fun twist, you know. After all the mess that she's made, she she kind of ends up saving the day with her, with her knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the late 1960s, a major part of Volkswagen's ad campaign for the Beetle 
involved the car's ability to float on the water. Oh, okay. To which point Buck Henry even wrote that into the script where there's a shot of, you know, everyone else goes underwater except for uh, except for Howard and Judy who are in a, in a Volkswagen. Uh, so when the car was driven off the San Francisco Pier, the crew found that this was not true as the car immediately sank into the San Francisco Bay with the stunt driver inside. He had not been hooked up with an air tank because everyone was under the impression that the car would float. No. Bogdanovich said it was almost a full two minutes before he emerged and everyone on set was certain that they had just killed the stunt driver. Oh my Because God. of Volkswagen's false advertising. Just imagine, I mean, for it, it was for about 10 years, it was their part of their ad campaign that your, your Volkswagen will float. They wrote it into the script. Everyone's just assuming it's going to float and then they drive it into the bay and it just goes down like a rock wow i was wondering why the car was floating when i was watching this movie this time i was like why why is that there's there's no little topical a little topical reference that that maybe didn't age super well no exactly yeah because then it wasn't true and uh and and what might be a somewhat obscure joke aimed at the uh the musical academics which the film is kind of poking fun of throughout uh, you might have noticed in the sequence when they go through the parade in Chinatown and they, they get caught up in the Chinese dragon, the performers in the Chinese parade are playing La Cucaracha, which is a Mexican folk tune, on German glockenspiels in a Chinese t- <laughs> folk parade. Guys, you doesn't get this like 10 people in the world. Yeah. Let's do it. Buck Henry's <laughs> just like, I got a great gag. <laughs> Guys got crit- and Bogdan, you like- gotta find you gotta find me a dozen Glockenspiel players <laughs> who can play La Cucaracha. Oh man, what a weird joke. Um, okay. <laughs> and there's also you know going along with the music, the film was almost entirely scored by music that was within Warner Brothers' uh, songbook, and so there's a lot of Cole Porter, a lot of George Gershwin. Um, it's, it's yeah it's fun there there is a there is a a composer credited in the film but there's actually no original composition in the movie he just did reworking with songs that that warner brothers already owned the rights to interesting yeah you can hear like cole porter and stuff or gershwin playing like in the hotel lobby and she sings the i mean the open i think the opening song is a cole, cole porter song is what she sings mm-hmm. um yeah. so yeah very all yeah i mean yeah and as time goes by that's from Casablanca, and that that was a Warner Brothers film, so that would make sense. Mm-hmm. That was that was actually the first time that that song had been performed on film outside of Casablanca. Really? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. They, they had never Warner Brothers had never done that before. Yeah. Also, uh, over the end credits, the first and only time Ryan O'Neill ever sang in a in a film. Good. When they when they have their their little duet. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, he walks into mine. Play a tram. I don't. Uh... You must remember this. C minor seventh. Oh. A kiss is still a kiss. That's very good. 
they still say, I love you. Any story questions you got other than your Mel Brooks? Your Mel Brooks question. It's not really a story question. It's a genre question. Um, and maybe this is a little too early in terms of like, say, if we cast this present, remain present day. But like, could this could this genre be made today in this like form? You know, I was thinking about this after our Philadelphia story episode. I think, I think it's it's one of those things. It's hard. You know, it's. I think it would be really fun to replicate this fully. Yeah. Um, but it's also hard to pinpoint just how much influence this has had on on modern rom-coms. Because like like we talked about with Philadelphia Story, a lot of rom-coms these days don't are kind of satirical yeah. of love. And, and that's something that was brought about by this genre beforehand. Like we said, a rom-com was comedic but it was also very romantic and it was two people fall in love period and love is great and love is grand yeah and and the screwball comedy is what really brought in this idea that like yeah, people it's kind of dumb like the whole process yeah. of falling in love is dumb and it makes you makes you kind of a dumb person <laughs> and, and and i mean even even the more modern films you can think of that do have more I don't want to say sappy, but but less less of an edge yeah. as far as the the romance goes. Still, a lot of them still have aspects of that screwball. Like I, I think um, one I think of that that I that I love. Uh, we've talked about before. Uh, uh, you've got mail. Yeah, yeah. Is a is a very like in yeah. the end. I think about I think about you know Tom Hanks coming over the hill and and Meg Ryan. Oh yeah, says, somewhere oh, somewhere over the rainbow's playing. His goal. Yeah, I always wanted it to be you. Like that's a very sincere at the end. That is a very sincere, somewhat sappy. Yeah. Look at love, but we've also had this whole opposites attract like vicious battle of the sex kind of fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Between them leading up to that, and um, and that's very screwball comedy. So yeah, I think I think it would be very hard to replicate something like this. I would love to see it done. I would love to see someone, especially it's it, you know, it's that kind of thing we've we've talked about before or we talked about with this, you know, to take these actors and let them, you know, use these instincts and use this type of comedic acting that was not being, you know, they might not have had that opportunity outside of this film. And there's a lot of actors today and we'll talk about it uh, when, when we get to your, your casting, but um, there's a lot of actors today. I'd love to see, have a chance to do this, you know, but, um, but, but yeah, like I said, I think there's a lot of aspects of screwball comedies that have made it to modern rom-coms. So, you know, that have become so ingrained in the modern rom-com DNA, we don't even necessarily realize it sometimes. Yeah, I think the one the one that pops to me um, in terms of like a more modern one that feels, from what I remember when I saw it, that feels very screwball comedy-esque is The Proposal with mm, Sam, yeah. Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. Because I think those two people are both characters where they can play both the romantic side but they're so comedic nat like naturally comedic that mm -hmm. and because it's 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 it literally the whole their whole love becomes a like it's a fake love is what it is it's they yeah she's doing it to to get a green card basically yeah and even if it does get a little sappy at the end that kind of in credits sequence is immediately like poking yeah. fun at it and then and it's i love that sequence too because it's kind of immediately like are they gonna make it yeah um, 
you're like right after this whole movie you watched him fall in love and then the end credit sequence is like ah this might not even last yeah yeah and but and she but she's also like the she's again kind of the dominant female character of the uh, of the movie which was the prominent mm-hmm. thing of the screwball comedy so i feel like when i when i think of more modern versions because uh, this was actually discussed with our guest episode for next week. Proposal was discussed as the one to talk about. I don't know if it can warrant a, a two a hour and a half discussion on it, but <laughs> it is an interesting one to compare to these older comedies where I think you can't, you just really have to find the right uh, entry point. All right. Uh, okay. Awards. This one's going to be fun. Yeah. Especially because it's such a huge, amazingly talented cast. It is. But... Who are we going with? Beatrice Strait, uh, actor with limited scenes that kills it. Okay, so I was looking at John Hillerman for a bit with his one scene when he comes and gets Ryan O'Neill out of the hotel, but I have to go with Liam Dunn, who plays the judge. One scene, and he's great. I think, literally, I remember like when I was watching, I was right now, John Hillerman's going to win this award, and then when he stepped on screen, I go, no, it's going to be Liam Dunn. It's going to be this guy. I had to look up his name. I was like, oh, it's, yeah. it's going to be this guy. Because uh, I know I've seen him before in some comedy, like comedy movies like the Mel Brooks. Stuff. I was like, oh, no, this guy's about to take this award, hands down. The, I, I love the when he, you know, early on in the, he has this, like, in that scene, he has this monologue about the different pills he has to take. Yeah. And uh, he talks about the, the, you know, I have to take the yellow pill to remind me to take the blue pill. And the bailiff says, what do the blue pills do? And he says, they won't tell me. And then later <laughs> on, he just pops like a handful <laughs> of blue <laughs> pills. <laughs> No, yeah, I think I think he's he's just great, or he's just like, what are these four bags? Like, oh, they they or is they they crushed my lifesavers or something? Is what he says at one point because the bag, yeah. yeah. No, I think I think he's great. I th- he's my pick for Beatrice Strait. I gotta. I think we're gonna be split votes on this. Really? One. Okay. Who do you have? I gotta give it to Austin Pendleton. Okay. Is he are, is he in too many scenes? You gonna you gonna? Well, let's count let, let's count them up real quick. Uh, okay. he's got the banquet. Yep. Uh, he's got his part, party, at his party, house. party scene. Uh, no, I think, I little, think it's, it's the end. A little bit of the car chase, but a little not, bit of the car chase. Much. Yeah. He's h- there a little bit at the end. Yeah. A little bit at the end. I don't know if you see him again. No. Cause it's a letter. He gets a letter. So he does, when he gets invited to the house or whatever, it's not awesome. Pill and saying, okay okay he's not involved he's not involved in the first sequence he's not involved in the the no, I, hotel room on fire sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah no i i would agree i would agree with you on that i i i, I, I he fits in this category all right i just i think he's hilarious in this movie hilarious in this movie i think his energy is amazing i just love the reveal of him like i said you know he eunice and, and harold are kind of talking up or howard are, are talking up this this guy that you know they're gonna meet this big academic and <laughs> he shows up and He's, I don't know, he's so much fun in this movie. Like, how obsessed he is with Burnsy. <laughs> I just, I think he's a blast. And I, and every time I rewatch this movie, I, I, I wish he had a better film career. I know he was a very prolific stage director. And um, there's actually a really good documentary on him, uh, on kind of his career with, like, yeah. a lot of famous actors. Yeah, starring like Austin Pendleton is what it's called, it looks like. Yeah, yeah, like Meryl Streep's in it, I know. Um I'll 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 go with you. I'll change my vote. You don't have to. No, because I love Liam Dunn. I love I love the courtroom scene too. But I I don't know Austin Pendleton's energy in this movie, especially I love him kind of paired up with Kenneth Mars. Just yeah. like the physicality, the the difference between the two of them, and the scene when Kenneth Mars is like trying his best to keep him from talking 
to to Howard yeah. and, and is like keeps spinning him around and there's the line which Buck Henry, you know, I, we, they said a lot of Kenneth Mars' stuff was was improvised, but Kenneth Mars is like, can I say that I love your hair? And, and um, Austin Pendleton has, like, comes back and is like, oh, I wish I could say the same to you or something <laughs> like that. I'm telling you, Bannister, this girl of yours is fun. F-U-N. And if you win that grant, well, you can consider it her victory as well as your own. You follow me? I, I... I certainly do. Annie Potts, X Factor Award, supporting actor that is the most memorable. I mean, Madeline Kahn to me. Yeah. I no, just, I, think there, I think there's no debate here. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to, we could rename Annie Potts to Madeline Kahn, but we won't do that. But Madeline Kahn, I think, uh, again, we said before, is that she takes a role that could just, that looks probably just bland and one dimensional on paper and just makes it her own. Mm-hmm. but also and but yeah. also like it's it feels like because it, it feels like a madeline khan character if that makes yeah. like it's, it just feels like she would kind of adopt a little bit of this uh demeanor for the rest of her career yeah she just had this insane energy that like, yeah she could just explode sometimes and it was inc- incredible I, I love when she's when she's counting down outside his door and he's got that line it's like you know i hate it when you count Eunice. And then he opens that door up and she's like screaming. <laughs> she's just, she, she really just, she knows she knew how to take a joke and just like, okay, I'm going to double down on this. I'm going to double down again. I'm just going to keep, it's very much we're talking about how Bogdanovich amps everything up to a certain peak. She does the mm. same thing in her, in her jokes or in her, her line yeah. delivery. It's the building it up. Like someone else would just be counting to ten, but she's like yelling the only way Madeline Kahn can yell. Howard, Howard, I am going to count to five. Don't count, Eunice. I hate it when you count. One, two, three, four, five. Hello, Eunice. Come on in. All right, Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie. There's a there's a debate here for Bogdanovich, I feel. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a debate here for Streisand. I am going to go with Streisand on this. I'm going to go with Streisand too because I think it is insanely impressive that she carries this movie. And doesn't want to. Like it. She doesn't even like to. <laughs> doesn't even like it and she carries it. That's impressive. It, it, it blows my mind. And the more and more I read... And I mean, you know, Streisand is, is a... She's a very interesting character. And, and I'm yeah. sure that that all these stories you know stories have been conflated about what a, I, I don't like to use this word but like what a diva she is and you know she clones her dogs and all this stuff um and this you know there's this whole thing the streisand effect online yeah. is if you ask somebody not to look something up on the internet they're just going to look it up but the more and more like i you know i initially read this thing that said streisand didn't like this movie and i was like okay well they're you know i'm sure it's that's just part of her reputation and i just kept reading and reading and reading quotes from her years <laughs> later when people were like hey <laughs> You, we know you didn't like this movie but like it's come to be a beloved like critically acclaimed film what do you think and she's still just like no <laughs> i still don't like it i still don't like it and and that's insane to me that she gives such an incredible performance in this movie and she doesn't care doesn't even care, doesn't care. It at all. <laughs> it's like it's it's just like yeah i don't like playing basketball but i can go drop 40 points if i want to easily like yeah yeah it's just when i love i love bogdanovich obviously and and i love that this is such a 
obviously a lovingly created homage to to films that he is passionate about yeah but it's almost more like i said it's it's more impressive that she he put in all this effort and then she swoops in and is like yeah this is below me and like boom nails it yeah yeah i i think strice i just think she has a uh, she has great deli- line delivery. She, 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 like I said, she captures the genre, but also being the 1970s version of it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know who else you put in this movie that captures that same essence she has in this role. I love that. That's might be one of my favorite MVPs. <laughs> I'm just picking, even, even if you don't want it, that, even if you don't want it, Barbara, you're, you're going to give it to yeah, you. Yeah. I- I love your your metaphor you just made about basketball. I'm just picturing Barbara Streisand like walking out, like not even looking, just like <laughs> like just t- tossing a basketball and it just goes in every time. Well, it's like there's been She's the like, meme, I- there's a, there's been the meme around with like Kyrie Irving because Kyrie Irving just like took off for like a week and his first game back mm-hmm. just drops like 40 and you're just like this dude mm-hmm. doesn't want to be here and he's like <laughs> dropping 40 points. I'm just like Barbara Streisand has Kyrie Irving in this situation. Okay. She's just like, yep. I don't want to, I don't know if she, I'm not saying she didn't want to be there, but it's like, I don't care about this. It's just a movie. No, no, I'm a transfer student. No, not the university, the, the conservatory of music. It's in Ames. You never heard of it? Well, it's a small conservatory, but there are those who love it. There's a professor there whom I hope to be studying with a, a brilliant man, Dr. Howard Bannister. No Bannister as in sliding down the, you, you have heard of him? Yes, that's right. Then up with the rocks. What's up, Doc? Did you happen to know that I uh, love you? Yeah. You did? Do? Listen, kiddo, you can't fight a tile wave. About those things I said, I mean, the way I acted back there. I'm sorry. Let me tell you something. Love means never having to say you're sorry. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Final questions. You ready for this? Yeah. No, I'm not ready for this. What's, what's your present day? Give me your present day. What's up, Doc? <sighs> okay. Judy, I, I think I have. And maybe it's too cliche. Because she also took on a role that Streisand had done before. And that's Lady Gaga. Oh, okay. I really wonder... Because I think you have we haven't really seen her in comedies, mm-hmm. but I think Gaga has naturally a funny like I think she's naturally funny in like interviews mm-hmm. I've seen I think she is uh ha- has a a comedic talent that has kind of been untapped maybe I'm wrong with this um but I think A Star Is Born showed that with the right role she could I think be really great and I do wonder what would be like putting her in this type of role? Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, it would be, it'd be fun to see. That's, that's what I'm thinking. Cause that's the hard part mm-hmm. is like, how can you connect? Okay. Who's the, the equip, the modern day equivalent of this person from 40 years ago. And Gaga just feels like the one that is someone who could become that where she, yeah. she could become a much bigger actress than what she currently is, but it's just roles haven't come that way. So I, I, I would like to see her in this. I back that. You want you want a Howard, right? I do want a Howard. I'm very excited to find out who your Howard is. This one's tough because all I thought about was Glenn Powell. And we said him last <laughs> week. He's got that he's, he's got, got that the, rhythm. He's I, got, I really yeah. think he could pull off like and you know, that's one when I'm thinking screwball comedies too, I, I think 
set it up has has really great and it's got that kind of like class divide yeah you know the 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 assistants versus the executives um and it's definitely a very kind of cynical ironic look at love but yeah, yeah. i think it, it's got a lot of screwball energy to it yeah i just i just i feel like it's it's the blonde hair i think they have a very similar build and i could i could just see glenn powell playing kind of a i don't this is not a knock on glenn powell but see him kind of playing a not a dumb character but a very like absent-minded yeah he's a very absent-minded character um i feel like powell could play the could play the transition from absent-minded to being a more um i don't say dominant but a, a, a much more uh involved character like i could see glenn powell playing that courtroom scene of telling mm. the story of what's happening okay well if, if you don't want to repeat yeah that's of last week what let me pitch you a former co-cast member of glenn powell okay what if what if we got riot russell Wyatt russell would be fun I think he could play that kind of airhead. Yeah, that could be fun. I feel like you have to make him a different, like, background. You know, by Wyatt Russell as a geolo- as a musicologist, geologist? Not at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, put him from Texas or someplace. I don't, I'm just trying to think, like, what what you could do. The hard part is not... The thing is, it's not just I'm trying to cast a Ryan O'Neill. You're trying to cast a Cary Grant. Mm-hmm. And that's... <laughs> trying to cast... Cary, Ryan O'Neill as Cary Grant. As Cary Grant, and that's difficult. And the Cary Grant we talked about in the Philadelphia story is a different Cary Grant than bringing up Baby. Philadelphia story is a little more suave. Um, and this is playing a more bookish Cary Grant. All right, I'll, I'll pitch you someone who I think has great comedic sensibility and, and a lot of people you know, might not realize it because he's kind of moved away from it. But... I think Chris Evans could 100% play this role. I'd buy that. Chris Evans. I'm talking like, I'm talking like human torch, Chris, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, not another team. These are all terrible movies I'm throwing out, but, uh, not another teen movie. Chris Evans. You're talking about what's your, uh, what's your number? Chris Evans. I got you. I got you. Yeah. What's your number? Chris Evans. I'm still one day. I'm going to watch that one with Michelle Monaghan. That's got like an insane cast and like no one talks about it. And, um, Oh God, which one is I can't even think of the name of it now that he did this like romantic comedy with Michelle Monaghan that I don't know how it must be awful because no one talks about it. But like the supporting cast is ridiculous. Let me see. Let me see. I want to find this out. When they do this. Oh, playing it cool. 2013. Oh, this poster looks terrible. Look look at the cast real quick. though. Oh, no, it's it's yeah. Chris Evans, Michelle Monaghan, Anthony Mackie, Aubrey Plaza, uh, Patrick Warburton. What? Ashley Tisdale, Topher Grace, Luke Wilson, Philip Baker Hall. What? Who is it? Wow. <laughs> what happened to this movie? 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> That's, what That's what happened to the movie. Uh, but yeah, I think I think Chris Evans is a, is a very funny dude. And uh, I, I remember being shocked when he was cast as Captain America because I knew him as primarily a comedic actor. And, yeah. and obviously he did great. He did great with Captain America, but I think he could. I think this would be something really fun for him to bring that I energy like that. back. He might be a little bit too old. He's pushing for, wow. huh? Wow. What? Wow. How was Ryan? You don't think Chris Evans is is young and sprightly enough to to pull this off. I don't think he's young. <laughs> no, I'm not. I mean, being as he's almost he's a nice older than me, but like it's it's. I'm saying in terms of like, like uh 
uh, O'Neill was like 30, 31 when he played this role. I mean, granted, people look younger nowadays than they did in the 70s, so he could play it. Yeah, there you go. So I'll I'll, I'll buy it. I'll go with it. Him, him and Lady Gaga. <laughs> and what's Perfect. up, Doc? I have no clue who plays Madeline Kahn. Actually, I had... <laughs> it's tough. It's I, tough, okay. to I had someone who played Malin Khan, but again, the age might be a little too old. Maybe not. And that's Catherine Hahn. Because... I do love Catherine I love Catherine I, Hahn. I, I would watch her in anything. I love Catherine Hahn, and WandaVision currently, I don't want to date our show, but WandaVision currently, someone posted about it, and I agree, is that Catherine Hahn is someone who just knows how to commit to the tone of whatever she is doing. Because mm-hmm. she can play it dramatic and serious. She can play it comedic, but she can give you different versions of comedy within it. And like yeah. WandaVision is kind of perfect for her in some cases because you see her can go from comedic to to serious like on a dime. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I and pe- people don't appreciate her enough, I feel. I just want to state yeah, that. Yeah, I remember, you know, now it's 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 wild these today. It, it was such a decorated show, but like no one talks about transparent anymore because yeah. of obviously the Jeffrey Tambor yeah. stuff. But Catherine Hahn absolutely blew me away on that show. She was incredible and in like a very dramatic role in that show. And I, I was primarily aware of her. Like I was very aware of her work. There's <laughs> a terrible movie I love called The Goods Live Hard, Sell Hard. I just saw this pop starring up. Jeremy Piven. I remember this movie. Like, yeah, I didn't see. Yeah. I didn't see Catherine it, but Hunt, I remember it. Catherine Hahn is the only. Well, I also I love Dave Kackner too. He's a great guy, and and the two of them are both in it, and and yeah. are just incredible in it. And everyone else is awful, and it's a terrible movie. But <laughs> <laughs> she's amazing in it. Yeah, and and it was it was not long after Step Brothers, which I really feel like her was her real like breakout. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love that. Let's do it. Yeah. There you go, you know Chris Evans. You know, get get someone a little bit older anyway. Yeah, Chris Evans. We'll, we'll, we'll age the we'll age the, the movie up. So. Chris Evans, but, Catherine yeah. Hahn, and Lady Gaga. That's a cast. Boom. Sanation adaptation. We've done another one. <laughs> um, does this fit in with any other genres other than than screwball comedy? I really don't know what else you put this because it's so screwball comedy. Um, yeah. yeah, I think the, I think he set out to do one thing and yeah. one thing only, and then and he did it. I think he did it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, I mean, yeah, everything else is just like location based. Like, I'm like, it's a San Francisco movie, um, but that's not really a genre. Yeah, I think I think it's pure screwball comedy. So to wrap it all up, how I mean, we've touched on this constantly, but yeah. let's let's hit some bullet points. Well, how is this a, a screwball comedy? Well, like I said before, at the beginning of the show, is that this is a screwball comedy that not only does the romantic version of the screwball comedy, but also kind of the madcap, outlandish version of a screwball comedy. It kind of gives you both where the first hour it's a lot of the romantic screwball comedy story. When then the last, the, uh, the near the end, but the, the 25 minutes, the end of the third act are just stunts and craziness and how they can up each other with every stunt they do and just playing mm-hmm. visual gags and all that. And that's very, that's common within the later kind of uh, screwball comedy genre. And then the big thing is it's the kind of the the Hoxian woman type character, the main female mm-hmm. that kind of motivate or that that pushes the story forward. And she all usually is an eccentric type character. That's the, we haven't talked about this this month, um, but how the Hoxian woman is a 
the irony is that people would describe the Manic Pixie Dream Girl in the same exact way um, mm-hmm. of the the character that brings out the, the certain aspects of the main male character. But I feel like with the Hoxian woman, I feel like they really do dominate the story. And she does bring out a lot in Ryan O'Neill, but I just think she is just the more entertaining and complex character probably. Yeah. He did it. Bogdanovich did it. I think he, he, he set out to recreate a screwball jo- uh, comedy and he, he did not fail. I yeah. think he, he did it very well, whether, whether or not Pauline Kale likes that or not. It's whatever. So is that it? Is that all we have on? Yeah, I think so. And then of course, you know, the next year he'd go into what I think I really love about paper moon is I feel like paper moon. Let's throw is them a both combination of last picture show and, and what's up doc. Yeah. Yeah. I think he took what he learned from both movies and, and put them together into one. Yeah. Just, uh, just a really, really great, great film. But yeah, I think that's all we have for you on this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the Cination Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't already, make sure you write us a review on whatever platform you listen on. Yeah, guys, uh, it, you know, if you're listening to the show, we have a lot of people, like we said, who, who reach out to us directly with feedback, and we love that. But it, it gets us a little bit more visibility if, if you want to drop some comments some concerns just you know drop a drop a movie that you love uh yeah if you if you love our letterbox list you know just get the get the word out there um because we, we we appreciate all of you and the feedback is always amazing and we just you know we want it out in the world we want it out on on the internet and if you haven't already make sure you like us on facebook twitter and instagram and next week we'll be continuing our screwball comedy discussion we're going back to the end of the golden age of screwball comedies with the 1941 film Ball of Fire, directed by Howard Hawks, we talked about today, and starring another Barbara, Barbara Stanwyck, and Gary Cooper, and co-written and actually based on an idea by Billy Wilder, famous director of Sunset Boulevard in the apartment. So you don't want to miss it. Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Absolutely. And thank you all for listening. Hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye. Bye.